we began this evening a series in the first letter of John, a bit of a shorter letter. Pastor Taylor and I will uh, tackle this one together, the Lord willing, in the Sundays ahead in the evening. And our focus will be verses 1 through 4 of 1 John, a bit of an introduction to his letter here. So this is 1 John, comes right after 2 Peter in the New Testament, before the big book of Revelation and Jude. The first letter of John, chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's word. The Apostle John writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us. That that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. May he write it on our hearts this evening. Well, today, beloved, we live in a a world of uncertainty. You know, around us, we, we see people uncertain about many different things that are happening in our culture, right? There's uncertainty around news stories, around political elections, around COVID-19 data, right? And the list goes on about the things that people are uncertain about, things that people debate about. And this kind of confusion as well, this kind of uncertainty could also be in the church of Jesus Christ. And and in John and in his day, even all the way back then, there was uncertainty, there was confusion, especially around who Jesus is and what he came to do. Uh, in his letter, John actually speaks of antichrist, false teachers who were causing confusion and questions uh, in the church. And so as a result, for the people of God, there was uncertainty. There was doubt. There was even schisms in the church. And into this world of theological and cultural confusion, uh, the Apostle John writes this letter to us. And he writes this letter to the church so that they could have true knowledge, which leads to confidence, assurance, and joy. He actually tells us at the end of his letter why he writes this letter to the church. He says in chapter 5, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. He wants us to live with this active knowledge and assurance that we have even now eternal life with God. And so, beloved, in our world of so much uncertainty, God gives to us this letter so that we could be certain about matters of first importance, who God is, who Jesus is, what he came to do and what it means to belong to him. And again, verses one through four here serve as a bit of an introduction to the letter of John. And there's two things that we want to focus our attention on this evening. First, John shows us the greatness and the nearness of Jesus. And then he tells us what the gospel produces in his people. 
So first, beloved, look at verses 1 and 2, and there you see both the greatness and the nearness of Jesus. Uh, In these opening words, first we see the greatness of Jesus. We see here, uh, we read here those words, that which was from the beginning. Uh, This is the first of four descriptive phrases concerning what John calls the word of life. And in these words, that which was from the beginning, you hear an echo of the very opening words of the Bible, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1, verse 1. All things were made by the word of God's power. And as we turn to John 1, verse 1, which you heard last Sunday, we see that the agent through which God created all things was his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He was with the Father in the beginning, we're told in John 1. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And John says the same thing here in verse 2. This is the eternal life which was with the Father. And when we think about the greatness of Jesus, we're reminded here in this text of his preexistence. He has always existed with the Father and the Holy Spirit in perfect fellowship. We learn here that he is not simply a created being of God, but he is portrayed by John here in his gospel and in his letter as the creator of all things. The words of the Nicene Creed, which goes back to the fourth century, Jesus is God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. But John's focus here is not... Uh, simply on the greatness of Jesus, but it's on the nearness of Jesus. In the very same breath of John, he speaks of his nearness. The Almighty God and Creator entered into creation, and it was really and truly manifested among us. And this is the heart of this text. That word manifest is used two times here by John, and it speaks of how the Son of God truly appeared in this world. John says he truly came as a real man in the flesh. Again, in John's day, there was confusion about who Jesus is. But the confusion in John's day and in the early church wasn't primarily about the divinity of Jesus, but actually about his humanity. Was he really a man? Why was that? There are two kind of parallel uh, false teachings that were floating around in John's day that came to fruition later on in the church. Uh, One was called docetism, comes from the Greek word dokeo, which means to appear. And they simply taught that Jesus appeared to be a real human being, but he wasn't actually one. He was always kind of, you know, hovering above the ground a couple of inches, a couple of feet, you know, not really a human. And there's another parallel teaching to this called Gnosticism, which taught that there is this fundamental difference between spirit and matter. The spirit realm, our spirit is closest to God, closest to the divine. It's what's good. In the material realm, you know, matter and the stuff of this world is inherently evil and corrupt. It's associated with the passions of our flesh, which bring about sin. So in this worldview of Gnosticism, there's no way God, who is spirit, could take on flesh. That would be absurd, right? And so these two teachings were, were kind of floating around in their early forms within the church, and they were causing confusion 
about who Jesus is. And even today, beloved, there is confusion. There's questions. Who is Jesus? Who is he? And can we have any real certainty about who Jesus really is? Well, in this world of confusion and uncertainty, the Apostle John here provides for us an eyewitness testimony concerning Jesus. He says throughout Jesus' ministry on this planet Earth, we actually got to see him. We got to hear him with our ears, John says. We got to even touch him with our hands in the flesh. God came so near to us, John says, and we're providing this eyewitness, concrete, on-the-ground testimony about what we experienced. Let's break that down. Notice first he says, that which we have heard. Now, this was not like the telephone game, children, right, where you hear something from someone, right, and then you go and tell someone else that thing that you heard, and by the time it gets right through all the people, you hear something completely different, right? That's how sometimes news gets spread today. You kind of hear it through the grapevine, some kind of major news event. No, John didn't hear through the grapevine certain news about Jesus, but he got to hear from the source itself. He heard the very voice of Jesus, that voice that every Christian longs to hear, the very voice of the Son of God in human flesh. The disciples got to hear Jesus comfort Martha at the death of her brother in John 11 when Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in him, though he believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. They got to hear Jesus say to a raging storm, peace, be still. The Apostle John got to hear those final words of Jesus from the cross before he gave up his spirit. Jesus said in John 19.30, it is finished. They heard the voice of Jesus when he was on earth. But they didn't only hear Jesus. John says we also saw him with our eyes. This was not some kind of visionary experience that John is talking about here. John is speaking about his eyewitness testimony concerning Jesus. And he says in John uh, chapter 114 in his gospel about how he saw his glory. John says here, we saw him with our eyes. We gazed upon him. We looked upon him in the flesh. The apostle saw Jesus lay hands on the sick and heal them. They got to see Jesus cast out demons. They even got to see Jesus in his risen glory when he was raised from the dead in his resurrection, and they saw him. That which we have heard, that which we have seen, that which we have, he says, touched with our hands. Remember how after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples two times. He said, peace be with you. The second time, you remember, when he came to his disciples, he came to that one doubting Thomas, we often call him. And what did he say to Thomas in John 20, verse 27? Thomas, put your fingers here and see my hands and put your hand and and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. You got to touch Jesus. What is all of this trying to tell us, beloved? This apostolic witness concerning Jesus is part of the very foundation of our faith. 
You see, John here is not just sharing his own personal experience. He's not just one individual who's saying, hey, this is what I have seen and what I have heard and what I have touched. He's not just claiming his own personal knowledge of the divine, but he is on the witness stand, you might say, in the courtroom setting with the other apostles. And he is saying, together, we solemnly testify concerning those things that we have experienced. And this is why the church confesses in the Nicene Creed, we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We hold to this faith that was revealed to us in Christ, passed down to the apostles, and proclaimed to us that we too might have fellowship with God. The Apostle Peter, another apostle of Jesus, writes in 2 Peter 1.16, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but again, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Beloved, we have to remember always that Christianity makes historical truth claims that are either true or false. You see, John's argument in his letter is not simply pragmatic. Well, Jesus is great because he worked to clean my life up. He worked to give me meaning and purpose in my life. Right? There's many things in this world that you can do that can help enhance your life and give it meaning and purpose. Right? Fishing music, painting, jujitsu, many things that could help clean up your life a little bit and, and work for you, you might say. Why should someone be a Christian at the end of the day? Why should someone be a follower of Jesus Christ? Why? According to the Apostle John, it's because it's true. It's because it's true. God really came down, John says, into this world. He manifested himself in such a way that we got to see him, hear him, touch him. This is the source of eternal life, he's saying, that was with the Father and is manifested to us. Well, beloved, we may not have seen Jesus like John. We may not have seen him with our physical eyes yet, but the child of God right now gets to behold Jesus with the eyes of faith. 1 Peter 1, verse 8, Peter writes, although you have not seen him, you love him. We have been given the word of God and the spirit of God uses that word to magnify Christ in our hearts. I love this verse from 2 Peter. You know, the apostles, again, they got to hear the voice of Jesus. And you remember how at the Mount of Transfiguration, they got to actually hear the voice of God speaking from heaven, right? This is my son with whom I am well pleased, right? An amazing experience. But this is what John says to us in 2 Peter 1, verse 17. He says, For when we, when he, Jesus, received honor and glory from God the Father, in the voice that was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirm the scriptures to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. God still speaks today through this prophetic word shining into our hearts, life 
and light. And so John says, the one who brought about life in the beginning by his word and who is the very source of eternal life entered into his own very good creation and was manifested in such a way that he was seen, heard, and touched. Why would God do that? Why would God stoop so low? According to the Apostle John, the word of life appeared to us to bring us fellowship and to bring us joy. This is our second point. The joy and the fellowship that the gospel produces. Finally, when we get to verse 3, we actually come to the main verb of this opening section, which is this, we proclaim also to you. All of these things that he is describing, we proclaim also to you. In other words, everything that they've experienced, they're now sharing so that we might have these two things, fellowship and joy. First, it talks about fellowship, verse 3. Now, what is this Christian word we often use, fellowship, right? It's not just having some coffee together and some treats after a church service, although that is certainly a part of the fellowship experience. But fellowship is more intimate. It's more personal. It's not just a social gathering. But fellowship is rooted in this shared intimacy that we have with Christ who binds us together, even though we're very different, as we heard this morning, who binds us together in this common activity of worship. The word here, fellowship, right, a word that you probably know, koinonia, it's that same word that's connected with the Lord's Supper and the intimacy that we have with Christ in communion. Right? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, the cup of blessing that we bless Is it not a participation, that's that word, fellowship, in the blood of Christ? There's intimacy there. Fellowship, this kind of fellowship, is essential for human beings, but especially for the Christian. Again, we live in an isolated world where we're all tempted in different ways to live on our own islands spiritually. And sometimes, beloved, the connections that we share with other Christians or simply other human beings could feel so shallow, disembodied, disconnected, and we, we desire intimacy, but we don't often experience it. And when we lack true fellowship, we could find ourselves suffering alone. We could find ourselves falling into certain sin and bad habits. And that's because God did not create us to be alone, right? God said in Genesis 2, 18, The first thing that was not good in his very good creation was this. It was not good that man should be alone. We were created to reflect the very character of God in our fellowship. And so how important is fellowship to God? Fellowship is so important that God himself was manifested in human flesh. Philippians 2, although Jesus was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. The heart of the Christian gospel, as we just celebrated during Christmas, is the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the manifestation of God in human flesh, so that he might restore fellowship, communion, intimacy between God and man. The work of Jesus, again, is what brings about that fellowship that we get to now enjoy with God. 
Before he went to the cross, Jesus prayed in John 17, verse 3, to the Father. He said this, This is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. God desired intimacy with his creatures so much so that he entered into the mess and the darkness of this fallen world to take upon himself a true human body to bring us eternal life and fellowship once again. But this message also produces fellowship amongst the people of God with one another. And we learn here where our fellowship is grounded. We just rehearsed it uh, earlier in the service. It's in our shared Christian faith, right? This is why even in the church here and in other churches, there's, you know, statements of faith, creeds and confessions. These are different things that help remind us where our fellowship is. It's in our shared faith in Christ. And John is writing to a church that has experienced the church split, right? Church schism, as we'll see later. There's people being led astray by strange teachings. And John is showing the people of God where their fellowship is grounded. It's not in their ethnic background. It's not in their social status. It's not in the things of this world, even that we heard about this morning, that separate people from people. No, our fellowship is in the gospel of Christ, in this apostolic message concerning who Jesus is and what he did. And this is what we need to be reminded of, not only in the church, but in this world. This is what we need to model as God's people in our isolated and divided world, showing what unites different people together is not how we agree on every issue under the sun in this world. It's not education levels or social income or status, but it's this fellowship that transcends all of this that we have in Christ. And so we see how this gospel produces fellowship, But look at verse 4 as well. The gospel, this work of Jesus brings joy. Again, John writes this letter concerning Jesus and tells us about this so that our joy, he says, might be full. It's for our joy. You see, false teaching, half-truths, bring only despair. When we don't see Jesus clearly, we don't understand how we're right with God or don't understand our purpose on this earth. We, we live with uncertainty. We live with a lack of peace in our hearts. We, we live with the sense that we're just entangled in our sins. We pass our days without assurance. But when we come to know and follow the word of life, Jesus, it brings purpose and meaning and joy into our lives. Jesus said in John 15, verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And again, Jesus said in John 16, verse 24, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. You see that reminder to follow Jesus, the word of life is to walk on a path that brings joy. I love how the late Robert Murray McShane put it. 
He said, believe not in Jesus and you will have no joy. Believe little and you will have little joy. Believe much and you will have much joy. Believe all and you will have all joy and your joy shall be full. And that's why at his coming, the message of joy was proclaimed to this world. The angels again announced glad tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. And the Apostle John is so moved by the good news that he wants to share it with everyone else. Right. This is for his joy as well, that he might find joy, even as he shares this message, which produces joy. We learn from this opening, beloved, Christianity is a historic faith, isn't it? It's an experiential faith, something that we experience that brings intimacy. Finally, we see here it's also a shared faith. It's a it's a faith that's passed on to others. And when it's shared, it brings joy to us. And it brings joy to others. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete, John says. It might be perfected. It might be fully realized. You know, when you have good news, you want to share it, don't you? We want others to share in the joy of the good news, right? If if you're having a, a new baby, right, and the baby's born, you want to post it on Facebook, share it on Instagram, tell your church family, right, the baby's come. If you're engaged, you want to share that good news. If you've had a successful surgery, you want to tell others about it. If you just got a job promotion, you want to tell people, right? We love to share good news. And there's something about sharing that news and other people rejoicing with us that increases our joy. Beloved, as Christians, we have the best joyful news in all of the world. The word of life really, truly appeared on this earth in flesh and blood to bring us eternal life. And those who heard that good news of Jesus on that first Easter morning, they ran and they told others, he is not here, he is risen. Is there any better message that can be shared in this sad world? Is there any message more urgent that our confused and uncertain world needs to hear today? And so the question for us, as we leave tonight, is this. Is that good news of Jesus at work in our hearts in such a way that we want to share it with others? Does the hope and joy of the gospel show itself in our own personal lives? The reformer Martin Luther said, the Christian life ought to be a living doxology. A living doxology. Can people look at your life and see a person filled with praise and with joy? May we share that good news today, beloved. May we be quick to proclaim, even with John, the person and work of Christ. And as we think of our life together as a congregation, may we be ready to sacrifice our time and our energy and our resources to show true fellowship with one another, if God so loved us that he pursued us and drew near to bring about fellowship with us in the incarnation, then we too can pursue others in love. And so as we follow that word of life, the Lord Jesus, may he continue to reveal himself more and more to us in his word for our greater fellowship and for our joy. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we...
Praise you, our everlasting God, for sending into this world your own beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the word of life. Indeed, Lord, his hands bring healing and his cross brings life. His empty tomb gives us hope. And so help us, O Lord, to behold him today with the eyes of faith. And we pray that you would open our lips, that we might praise you and proclaim the good news of great joy, which is for all people. We thank you again for your word. May it dwell in us richly and bear fruit in our lives as we abide in Jesus Christ, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. For we pray this in his precious name. Amen.